Section 7 of The Oxford Book of American Essays, chosen by Brander Matthews. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 7. My spirits infallibly rise in proportion to the outward dreariness. Give me the ocean, the desert, or the wilderness. In the desert, pure air and solitude compensate for want of moisture and fertility. The traveller Burton says of it, Your morale improves. You become frank and cordial, hospitable and single-minded. In the desert, spiritous liquors excite only disgust. There is a keen enjoyment in a mere animal existence. They who have been travelling long on the steppes of Tartary say, On re-entering cultivated lands, the agitation, perplexity, and turmoil of civilization oppressed and suffocated us. The air seemed to fail us, and we felt every moment as if about to die of asphyxia. When I would recreate myself, I seek the darkest wood, the thickest and most interminable, and to the citizen most dismal swamp. I enter a swamp as a sacred place, a sanctum sanctorum. There is the strength, the marrow of nature. The wild wood covers the virgin mould, and the same soil is good for men and for trees. A man's health requires as many acres of meadow to his prospect as his farm does loads of muck. There are the strong meats on which he feeds. The town is saved not more by the righteous man in it than by the woods and swamps that surround it. A township where one primitive forest waves above, while another primitive forest rots below. Such a town is fitted to raise not only corn and potatoes, but poets and philosophers for the coming ages. In such a soil grew Homer and Confucius and the rest, and out of such a wilderness comes the reformer, eating locusts and wild honey. To preserve wild animals implies generally the creation of a forest for them to dwell in or resort to. So it is with man. A hundred years ago they sold bark in our streets peeled from our own woods. In the very aspect of those primitive and rugged trees there was, methinks, a tanning principle which hardened and consolidated the fibres of men's thoughts. Ah, already I shudder for these comparatively degenerate days of my native village, when you cannot collect a load of bark of good thickness, and we no longer produce tar and turpentine. The civilized nations, Greece, Rome, England, have been sustained by the primitive forests which anciently rotted where they stand. They survive as long as the soil is not exhausted. Alas, for human culture, little is to be expected of a nation when the vegetable mould is exhausted and it is compelled to make manure of the bones of its fathers. There the poet sustains himself merely by his own superfluous fat, and the philosopher comes down on his marrow-bones. It is said to be the task of the American to work the virgin soil, and that agriculture here already assumes proportions unknown everywhere else. I think that the farmer displaces the Indian even because he redeems the meadow and so makes himself stronger and in some respects more natural i was surveying for a man the other day a single straight line one hundred and thirty-two rods long through a swamp at whose entrance might have been written the words which dante read over the entrance to the infernal regions leave all hope ye that enter that is of ever getting out again where at one time I saw my employer actually up to his neck and swimming for his life in his property, though it was still winter. He had another similar swamp, 
which I could not survey at all, because it was completely under water, and nevertheless with regard to a third swamp, which I did survey from a distance, he remarked to me, true to his instincts, that he would not part with it for any consideration on account of the mud which it contained, and that man intends to put a girdling ditch round the hole in the course of forty months, and so redeem it by the magic of his spade. I refer to him only as the type of a class. The weapons with which we have gained our most important victories, which should be handed down as heirlooms from father to son, are not the sword and the lance, but the bushwhack, the turf-cutter, the spade, and the bog-hoe, rusted with the blood of many a meadow, and begrimed with the dust of many a hard-fought field. The very winds blew the Indian's cornfield into the meadow, and pointed out the way which he had not the skill to follow. He had no better implement with which to entrench himself in the land than a clam-shell, but the farmer is armed with plough and spade. In literature it is only the wild that attracts us. Dullness is but another name for tameness. It is the uncivilized free and wild thinking in Hamlet and the Iliad, in all the scriptures and mythologies not learned in the schools that delights us. As the wild duck is more swift and beautiful than the tame, so is the wild the mallard thought which mid falling dews wings its way above the fens a truly good book is something as natural and as unexpectedly and unaccountably fair and perfect as a wild flower discovered on the prairies of the west or in the jungles of the east genius is a light which makes the darkness visible like the lightning's flash, which perchance shatters the temple of knowledge itself, and not a taper lighted at the hearthstone of the race which pales before the light of common day. English literature, from the days of the minstrels to the lake poets, Chaucer and Spencer and Milton, and even Shakespeare included, breathes no quite fresh and in the sense wild strain it is an essentially tame and civilized literature reflecting greece and rome her wilderness is a green wood her wild man a robin hood there is plenty of genial love of nature but not so much of nature herself her chronicles inform us when her wild animals but not when the wild man in her became extinct the science of humboldt is one thing poetry is another thing the poet to-day notwithstanding all the discoveries of science and the accumulated learning of mankind enjoys no advantage over homer where is the literature which gives expression to nature he would be a poet who would impress the winds and streams into his service to speak for him who nailed words to their primitive senses as farmers drive down stakes in the spring which the frost has heaved who derived his words as often as he used them transplanted them to his page with earth adhering to their roots whose words were so true and fresh and natural that they would appear to expand like the buds at the approach of spring though they lay half smothered between two musty leaves in a library i to bloom and bear fruit there after their kind annually for the faithful reader in sympathy with surrounding nature i do not know of any poetry to quote which adequately expresses this yearning for the wild approached from this side the best poetry is tame I do not know where to find in any literature, ancient or modern, any account which contents me of that nature with which even I am acquainted. 
you will perceive that i demand something which no augustan or elizabethan age which no culture in short can give mythology comes nearer to it than anything how much more fertile a nature at least has grecian mythology its roots in than english literature mythology is the crop which the old world bore before its soil was exhausted before the fancy and imagination were affected with blight and which it still bears wherever its pristine vigour is unabated all other literatures endure only as the elms which overshadow our houses but this is like the great dragon-tree of the western isles as old as mankind and whether that does or not will endure as long for the decay of other literatures makes the soil in which it thrives the west is preparing to add its fables to those of the east the valleys of the ganges the nile and the rhine having yielded their crop it remains to be seen that the valleys of the amazon the platte the onorico the st lawrence and the mississippi will produce perchance when in the course of ages american liberty has become a fiction of the past as it is to some extent a fiction of the present the poets of the world will be inspired by american mythology the wildest dreams of wild men even are not the less true though they may not recommend themselves to the sense which is most common among englishmen and americans to-day it is not every truth that recommends itself to the common sense nature has a place for the wild clematis as well as for the cabbage some expressions of truth are reminiscent others merely sensible as the phrase is others prophetic some forms of disease even may prophesy forms of health the geologist has discovered that the figures of serpents griffins flying dragons and other fanciful embellishments of heraldry have their prototypes in the forms of fossil species which were extinct before man was created and hence indicate a faint and shadowy knowledge of the previous state of organic existence the hindus dreamt that the earth rested on an elephant and the elephant on a tortoise and the tortoise on a serpent and though it may be an unimportant coincidence it will not be out of place here to state that a fossil tortoise has lately been discovered in asia large enough to support an elephant i confess that i am partial to these wild fancies which transcend the order of time and development they are the sublimest recreation of the intellect the partridge loves peas but not those that go with her into the pot in short all good things are wild and free there is something in a strain of music whether produced by an instrument or by the human voice take the sound of a bugle in a summer night for instance which by its wildness to speak without satire reminds me of the cries emitted by wild beasts in their native forests it is so much of their wildness as i can understand give me for my friends and neighbors wild men not tame ones the wildness of the savage is but a faint symbol of the awful ferity with which good men and lovers meet i love even to see the domestic animals reassert their native rights any evidence that they have not wholly lost their original wild habits and vigour as when my neighbour's cow breaks out of her pasture early in the spring and boldly swims the river a cold grey tide twenty-five or thirty rods wide swollen by the melted snow it is the buffalo crossing the mississippi this exploit confers such dignity on the herd in my eyes already dignified the seeds of instinct are preserved under the thick hides of cattle and horses 
like seeds in the bowels of the earth an indefinite period any sportiveness in cattle is unexpected i saw one day a herd of a dozen bullocks and cows running about and frisking in unwieldy sport like huge rats even like kittens they shook their heads raised their tails and rushed up and down a hill and i perceived by their horns as well as by their activity their relation to the deer tribe but alas a sudden loud woe would have dampened their ardour at once reduced them from venison to beef and stiffened their sides and sinews like the locomotive who but the evil one has cried woe to mankind indeed the life of cattle like that of many men is but a sort of locomotiveness they move aside at a time and man by his machinery is meeting the horse and the ox halfway whatever part the whip has touched is thenceforth palsied who would ever think of a side of any of the supple cat tribe as we speak of a side of beef i rejoice that horses and steers have to be broken before they can be made the slaves of men and that men themselves have some wild oats still left to sow before they become submissive members of society undoubtedly all men are not equally fit subjects for civilization and because the majority like dogs and sheep are tame by inherited disposition this is no reason why the others should have their natures broken that they may be reduced to the same level men are in the main alike but they were made several in order that they might be various if a low use is to be served one man will do nearly or quite as well as another if a high one individual excellence is to be regarded any man can stop a hole to keep the wind away but no other man could serve so rare a use as the author of this illustration did confucius says the skins of the tiger and the leopard when they are tanned are as the skins of the dog and the sheep tanned but it is not the part of a true culture to tame tigers any more than it is to make sheep ferocious and tanning their skins for shoes is not the best use to which they can be put when looking over a list of men's names in a foreign language as of military officers or of authors who have written on a particular subject i am reminded once more that there is nothing in a name the name menchikoff for instance has nothing in it to my ears more human than a whisker and it may belong to a rat as the names of the poles and russians are to us so are ours to them it is as if they had been named by the child's rigmarole iry wiry itchery von tittletotan i see in my mind a herd of wild creatures swarming over the earth and to each the herdsman has affixed some barbarous sound in his own dialect the names of men are of course as cheap and meaningless as bows and tray the names of dogs methinks it would be some advantage to philosophy if men were named merely in the gross as they are known it would be necessary only to know the genus and perhaps the race or variety to know the individual we are not prepared to believe that every private soldier in a roman army had a name of his own because we have not supposed that he had a character of his own at present our only true names are nicknames i knew a boy who from his peculiar energy was called buster by his playmates and this rightly supplanted his christian name some travellers tell us that an indian had no name given him at first but earned it and his name was his fame 
and among some tribes he acquired a new name with every new exploit it is pitiful when a man bears a name for convenience merely who has earned neither name nor fame i will not allow mere names to make distinctions for me but still see men in herds for all them a familiar name cannot make a man less strange to me it may be given to a savage who retains in secret his own wild title earned in the woods we have a wild savage in us and a savage name is perchance somewhere recorded as ours i see that my neighbour who bears the familiar epithet william or edwin takes it off with his jacket it does not adhere to him when asleep or in anger or aroused by any passion or inspiration i seem to hear pronounced by some of his kin at such a time his original wild name in some jaw-breaking or else melodious tongue here in this vast savage howling mother of ours nature lying all around with such beauty and such affection for her children as the leopard and yet we are so early weaned from her breast to society to that culture which is exclusively an interaction of man on man a sort of breeding in and in which produces at most a merely english nobility a civilization destined to have a speedy limit in society in the best of institutions of men it is easy to detect a certain precocity when we should still be growing children we are already little men give me a culture which imports much muck from the meadows and deepens the soil not that which trusts to heating manures and improved implements and modes of culture only many a poor sore-eyed student that i have heard of would grow faster both intellectually and physically if instead of sitting up so very late he honestly slumbered a fool's allowance there may be an excess even of informing light neeps a frenchman discovered actinism that power in the sun rays which produces a chemical effect that granite rocks and stone structures and statues of metal are all alike destructively acted upon during the hours of sunshine and but for provisions of nature no less wonderful would soon perish under the delicate touch of the most subtle of the agencies of the universe but he observed that these bodies which underwent this change during the daylight possessed the power of restoring themselves to their original conditions during the hours of night when this excitement was no longer influencing them hence it has been inferred that the hours of darkness are as necessary to the inorganic creation as we know night and sleep are to the organic kingdom not even does the moon shine every night but gives place to darkness i would not have every man nor every part of a man cultivated any more than i would have every acre of earth cultivated part will be tillage but the greater part will be meadow and forest not only serving an immediate use but preparing a mould against a distant future by the animal decay of the vegetation which it supports there are other letters for the child to learn than those which cadmus invented the spaniards have a good term to express this wild and dusky knowledge grammatica parda tawny gramma a kind of mother wit derived from that same leopard to which i have referred we have heard of a society for the diffusion of useful knowledge it is said that knowledge is power and the like methinks there is equal need of a society for the diffusion of useful ignorance what we will call beautiful knowledge a knowledge useful in a higher sense 
for what is most of our boasted so-called knowledge but a conceit that we know something which robs us of the advantage of our actual ignorance what we call knowledge is often our positive ignorance ignorance our negative knowledge by long years of patient industry and reading of the newspapers for what are libraries of science but files of newspapers a man accumulates a myriad facts lays them up in his memory and then when in some spring of his life he saunters abroad into the great fields of thought he as it were goes to grass like a horse and leaves all his harness behind in the stable i would say to the society for the diffusion of useful knowledge sometimes go to grass you have eaten hay long enough the spring has come with its green crop the very cows are driven to their country pastures before the end of may though i have heard of one unnatural farmer who kept his cow in the barn and fed her on hay all the year round so frequently the society for the diffusion of useful knowledge treats its cattle a man's ignorance sometimes is not only useful but beautiful while his knowledge so-called is oftentimes worse than useless besides being ugly which is the best man to deal with he who knows nothing about a subject and what is extremely rare knows that he knows nothing or he who really knows something about it but thinks that he knows all my desire for knowledge is intermittent but my desire to bathe my head in atmospheres unknown to my feet is perennial and constant the highest that we can attain to is not knowledge but sympathy with intelligence i do not know that this higher knowledge amounts to anything more definite than a novel and grand surprise on a sudden revelation of the insufficiency of all that we called knowledge before a discovery that there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophy it is the lighting up of the mist by the sun man cannot know in any higher sense than this any more than he can look serenely and with impunity in the face of sun ostinon u kelnon non sais you will not perceive that as perceiving a particular thing says the chaldean oracles there is something servile in the habit of seeking after a law which we may obey we may study the laws of matter at and for our convenience but a successful life knows no law it is an unfortunate discovery certainly that of a law which binds us where we did not know before that we were bound live free child of the mist and with respect to knowledge we are all children of the mist the man who takes the liberty to live is superior to all the laws by virtue of his relation to the lawmaker that is active duty says vishnu purana which is not for our bondage that is knowledge which is for our liberation all other duty is good only unto weariness all other knowledge is only the cleverness of an artist it is remarkable how few events or crises there are in our histories how little exercised we have been in our minds how few experiences we have had i would fain be assured that i am growing apace and rankly though my very growth disturb this dull equanimity though it be with struggle through long dark muggy nights or seasons of gloom it would be well if all our lives were a divine tragedy even instead of this trivial comedy or farce dante bunyan and others appear to have been exercised in their minds more than we they were subjected to a kind of culture such as our district schools and colleges do not contemplate even mohammed 
though many may scream at his name had a good deal more to live for ay and to die for than they have commonly when at rare intervals some thought visits one as perchance he is walking on a railroad then indeed the cars go by without his hearing them but soon by some inexorable law our life goes by and the cars return gentle breeze that wanderest unseen and bendest the thistles round loira of storms traveller of the windy glens why hast thou left my ear so soon while almost all men feel an attraction drawing them to society few are attracted strongly to nature in their relation to nature men appear to me for the most part notwithstanding their arts lower than the animals it is not often a beautiful relation as in the case of the animals how little appreciation of the beauty of the landscape there is among us we have to be told that the greeks called the world cosmos beauty or order but we do not see clearly why they did so and we esteem it at best only a curious philological fact for my part i feel that with regard to nature i live a sort of border life on the confines of a world into which i make occasional and transional and transient forays only and my patriotism and allegiance to the state into whose territories i seem to retreat are those of a moss trooper unto a life which i call natural i would gladly follow even a will-o'-the-wisp through bogs and sloughs unimaginable but no moon nor firefly has shown me the causeway to it nature is a personality so vast and universal that we have never seen one of her features the walker in the familiar fields which stretch around my native town sometimes finds himself in another land than is described in their owner's deeds as it were in some faraway field on the confines of the actual concord where her jurisdiction ceases and the idea which the word concord suggests ceases to be suggested these farms which i have myself surveyed these bounds which i have set up appear dimly still as through a mist but they have no chemistry to fix them they fade from the surface of the glass and the picture which the painter painted stands out dimly from beneath the world with which we are commonly acquainted leaves no trace and it will have no anniversary i took a walk on spaulding's farm the other afternoon i saw the setting sun lighting up the opposite side of a stately pine wood its golden rays straggled into the aisles of the wood as into some noble hall i was impressed as if some ancient and altogether admirable and shining family had settled there in that part of the land called concord unknown to me to whom the son was servant who had not gone into society in the village who had not been called upon i saw their park their pleasure ground beyond through the wood in spaulding's cranberry meadow the pines furnished them with gables as they grew their house was not obvious to vision the trees grew through it i do not know whether i heard the sounds of the suppressed hilarity or not they seemed to recline on the sunbeams they have sons and daughters they are quite well the farmer's cart-path which leads directly through their hall does not in the least put them out as the muddy bottom of a pool is sometimes seen through the reflected skies they never heard of spaulding and do not know that he is their neighbour notwithstanding i heard him whistle as he drove his team through the house nothing can equal the serenity of their lives 
their coat of arms is simply a lichen i saw it painted on the pines and oaks their attics were in the tops of the trees they are of no politics there was no noise of labor i did not perceive that they were weaving or spinning yet i did detect when the wind lulled and hearing was done away the finest imaginable sweet musical hum as of a distant hive in may which perchance was the sound of their thinking they had no idle thoughts and no one without could see their work for their industry was not as in knots and excrescences embayed but i find it difficult to remember them they fade irrevocably out of my mind even now while i speak and endeavor to recall them and recollect myself it is only after a long and serious effort to recollect my best thoughts that i become again aware of their cohabitancy if it were not for such families as this i think i should move out of concord we are accustomed to say in new england that few and fewer pigeons visit us every year our forests furnish no mast for them so it would seem fewer and fewer thoughts visit each growing man from year to year for the grove in our minds is laid waste sold to feed unnecessary fires of ambition or sent to mill and there is scarcely a twig left for them to perch on they no longer build nor breed with us in some more genial season perchance a faint shadow flits across the landscape of the mind cast by the wings of some thought in its vernal or autumnal migration but looking up we are unable to detect the substance of the thought itself our winged thoughts are turned to poultry they no longer soar and they attain only to a shanghai and cochin china grandeur those great thoughts those great men you hear of we hug the earth how rarely we mount methinks we might elevate ourselves a little more we might climb a tree at least i found my account in climbing a tree once it was a tall white pine on the top of a hill and though i got well pitched i was well paid for it for i discovered new mountains in the horizon which i had never seen before so much more of the earth and the heavens i might have walked about the foot of the tree for threescore years and ten and yet i certainly should never have seen them but above all i discovered around me it was near the end of june on the ends of the topmost branches only a few minute and delicate red cone-like blossoms the fertile flower of the white pine looking heavenward i carried straight away to the village the topmost spire and showed it to stranger jurymen who walked the streets for it was court week and to farmers and lumber dealers and wood choppers and hunters and not one had ever seen the like before but they wondered as at a star dropped down tell of ancient architects finishing their works on the tops of columns as perfectly as on the lower and more visible parts nature has from the first expanded the minute blossoms of the forest only towards the heavens above men's heads and unobserved by them we see only the flowers that are under our feet in the meadows the pines have developed their delicate blossoms on the highest twigs of the wood every summer for ages as well over the heads of nature's red children as of her white ones yet scarcely a farmer or hunter in the land has ever seen them above all we cannot afford not to live in the present he is blessed over all mortals who loses no moment of the passing life in remembering the past 
unless our philosophy hears the cock crow in every barnyard within our horizon it is belated that sound commonly reminds us that we are growing rusty and antique in our employments and habits of thought his philosophy comes down to a more recent time than ours there is something suggested by it that is a newer testament the gospel according to this moment he has not fallen astern he has got up early and kept up early and to be where he is is to be in season in the foremost rank of time it is an expression of the health and soundness of nature a brag for all the world healthiness as of a spring burst forth a new fountain of the muses to celebrate this last instant of time where he lives no fugitive slave laws are passed who has not betrayed his master many times since last he heard that note the merit of this bird's strain is in its freedom from all plaintiveness the singer can easily move us to tears or to laughter but where is he who can excite in us a pure morning joy when in doleful dumps breaking the awful stillness of our wooden sidewalk on a sunday or perchance a watcher in the house of mourning i hear a cockerel crow far or near i think to myself there is one of us well at any rate and with a sudden gush return to my senses we had a remarkable sunset one day last november i was walking in a meadow the source of a small brook when the sun at last just before setting after a cold grey day reached a clear stratum in the horizon and the softest brightest morning sunlight fell on the dry grass and on the stems of the trees in the opposite horizon and on the leaves of the shrub oaks on the hillside while our shadows stretched long over the meadow eastward as if we were the only motes in its beams it was such a light as we could not have imagined a moment before and the air also was so warm and serene that nothing was wanting to make a paradise of that meadow when we reflected that this was not a solitary phenomenon never to happen again but that it would happen forever and ever an infinite number of evenings and cheer and reassure the latest child that walked there it was more glorious still the sun sets on some retired meadow where no house is visible with all the glory and splendor that it lavishes on cities and perchance as it has never set before where there is but a solitary marsh hawk to have his wings gilded by it or only a musquash looks out from his cabin and there is some little black-veined brook in the midst of the marsh just beginning to meander winding slowly round a decaying stump we walked in so pure and bright a light gilding the withered grass and leaves so softly and serenely bright i thought i had never bathed in such a golden flood without a ripple or a murmur to it the west side of every wood and rising ground gleamed like the boundary of elysium and the sun on our backs seemed like a gentle herdsman driving us home at evening so we saunter toward the holy land till one day the sun shall shine more brightly than ever he has done shall perchance shine into our minds and hearts and light up our whole lives with a great awakening light as warm and serene and golden as on a bankside in autumn on a certain condescension in foreigners footnote from the atlantic monthly january eighteen sixty nine and a footnote by james russell lowell 
walking one day towards the village, as we used to call it in the good old days, when almost every dweller in the town had been born in it, I was enjoying that delicious sense of disenthrallment from the actual which the deepening twilight brings with it, giving as it does a sort of obscure novelty to things familiar. The coolness, the hush, broken only by the distant bleat of some belated goat, querulous to be disburdened of her milky load, the few faint stars, more guessed as yet than seen, the sense that the coming dark would so soon fold me in the secure privacy of its disguise, all things combined in a result as near absolute peace as can be hoped for by a man who knows that there is a writ out against him in the hands of the printer's devil. For a moment I was enjoying the blessed privilege of thinking, without being called on to stand and deliver, what I thought to the small public who are good enough to take any interest therein. I love old ways, and the path I was walking felt kindly to the feet it had known for almost fifty years how many fleeting impressions it has shared with me how many times i have lingered to study the shadows of the leaves mezzo-tinted upon the turf that edged it by the moon of the bare boughs etched with a touch beyond rembrandt by the same unconscious artist on the smooth page of snow if i turned round through dusky tree-gaps came the few twinkle of evening lamps in the dear old homestead. On Cory's Hill I could see these tiny pharoses of love and home and sweet domestic thoughts flash out one by one across the blackening salt meadow between. How much has not kerosene added to the cheerfulness of our evening landscape? A pair of night herons flapped heavily over me towards the hidden river the war was ended i might walk townward without that aching dread of bulletins that had darkened the july sunshine and twice made the scarlet leaves of october seem stained with blood i remembered with a pang half proud half painful how so many years ago i had walked over the same path and felt round my fingers the soft pressure of a little hand that was one day to hearten with faithful grip of sabre on how many paths leading to how many homes where proud memory does all she can to fill up the fireside gaps with shining shapes must not men be walking in just such pensive mood as i ah young heroes safe in immortal youth as those of homer who at least carried your ideal hence untarnished it is locked for you beyond moth or rust in the treasure-chamber of death is not a country i thought that has had such as they in it that could give such as they a brave joy in dying for it worth something then and as i felt more and more the soothing magic of evening's cool palm upon my temples as my fancy came home from its reverie and my senses with reawakened curiosity ran to the front window again from the viewless closet of abstraction and felt a strange charm in finding the old tree and shabby fence still there under the travesty of falling night nay were conscious of an unsuspected newness in familiar stars and the fading outlines of hills my earliest horizon i was conscious of an immortal soul and could not but rejoice in the unwaning goodliness of the world into which i had been born without any merit of my own i thought of dear henry vaughan's rainbow still young and fine i remembered people who had 
to go over to the alps to learn what the divine silence of snow was who must run to italy before they were conscious of the miracle wrought every day under their very noses by the sunset who must call upon the berkshire hills to teach them what a painter autumn was while close at hand the fresh pond meadows made all orioles cheap with hues that showed as if a sunset cloud had been wrecked among their maples one might be worse off than even in america i thought there are some things so elastic that even the heavy roller of democracy cannot flatten them altogether down the mind can weave itself warmly in the cocoon of its own thoughts and dwell a hermit anywhere a country without traditions without ennobling associations a scramble of parvenu with a horrible consciousness of shoddy running through politics manners art literature nay religion itself i confess it did not seem so to me there in that illimitable quiet that serene self-possession of nature where collins might have brooded his ode to evening or where those verses on solitude in dodley's collection that hawthorne liked so much might have been composed traditions granting that we had done all that is worth having in them is the common property of the soul an estate in gavelkind for all the sons of adam and moreover if a man cannot stand on his two feet the prime quality of whoever has left any tradition behind him were it not better for him to be honest about it at once and go down on all fours and for associations if one have not the wit to make them for himself out of native earth no ready-made ones of other men will avail much lexington is none the worse to me for not being in greece nor gettysburg that its name is not marathon blessed old fields i was just exclaiming to myself like one of mrs radcliffe's heroes dear acres innocently secure from history which these eyes first beheld may you be also those to which they shall at last slowly darken when i was interrupted by a voice which asked me in german whether i was the herr professor doctor so-and-so the doctor was by brevet or vaticination to make the grade easier to my pocket one feels so intimately assured that he is made up in part of shreds and leavings of the past in part of the interpolations of other people that an honest man would be slow in saying yes to such a question but my name is so-and-so is a safe answer and i gave it while i had been romancing with myself the street lamps had been lighted and it was under one of these detectives that have robbed the old road of its privilege of sanctuary after nightfall that i was ambushed by my foe the inexorable villain had taken my description it appears that i might have the less chance to escape him dr holmes tells us that we change our substance not every seven years as was once believed but with every breath we draw why had i not the wit to avail myself of the subterfuge and like peter to renounce my identity especially as in certain moods of mind i have often more than doubted of it myself when a man is as it were his own front door and is thus knocked at why may he not assume the right of that sacred wood to make every house a castle by denying himself to all visitations i was truly not at home when the question was put to me but had to recall myself from all out of doors 
and to piece my self-consciousness hastily together as well as i could before i answered it i knew perfectly well what was coming it is seldom that debtors or good samaritans waylay people under gas lamps in order to force money upon them so far as i have seen or heard i was also aware from considerable experience that every foreigner is persuaded that by doing this country the favour of coming to it he has laid every native thereof under an obligation pecuniary or other as the case may be whose discharge he is entitled to on demand duly made in person or by letter too much learning of this kind has made me mad in the provincial sense of the word i had begun life with the theory of giving something to every beggar that came along though sure of never finding a native-born countryman among them in a small way i was resolved to emulate hatem ty's tent with its three hundred and sixty-five entrances one for every day in the year i know not whether he was astronomer enough to add another for leap years the beggars were a kind of german silver aristocracy not real plate to be sure but better than nothing where everybody was overworked they supplied the comfortable equipoise of absolute leisure so aesthetically needful besides i was but too conscious of a vagrant fibre in myself which too often thrilled me in my solitary walks with the temptation to wander on into infinite space and by a single spasm of resolution to emancipate myself from the drudgery of prosaic serfdom to respectability and the regular course of things this prompting has been at times my familiar demon and i could not but feel a kind of respectful sympathy for men who had dared what i had only sketched out to myself as a splendid possibility for seven years i helped maintain one heroic man on an imaginary journey to portland as fine an example as i have ever known of hopeless loyalty to an ideal i assisted another so long in a fruitless attempt to reach macklenburg schwerin that at last we grinned in each other's faces when we met like a couple of augurs he was possessed by this harmless mania as some are by the north pole and i shall never forget his look of regretful compassion as for one who was sacrificing his higher life to the fleshpots of egypt when i at last advised him somewhat strenuously to go to the devil whither the road was so much travelled that he could not miss it general banks in his noble zeal for the honour of his country would confer on the secretary of state the power of imprisoning in case of war all those seekers of the unattainable thus by a stroke of the pen annihilating the single poetic element in our humdrum life alas not everybody has the genius to be a bobbin boy or doubtless all these who would have chosen that most prosperous line of life but moralists sociologists political economists and taxes have slowly convinced me that my beggarly sympathies were a sin against society especially was the buckle doctrine of averages so flattering to our free will persuasive with me for as there must be in every year a certain number who would bestow an alms on these abridged editions of the wandering jew the withdrawal of my quota could make no possible difference since some destined proxy must always step forward to fill my gap just so many misdirected letters every year and no more would it were as easy to reckon up the number of men on whose backs fate has written the wrong address so that they arrive by mistake in congress and other places where they do not belong 
may not these wanderers of whom i speak have been sent into the world without any proper address at all where is our dead-letter office for such and if wiser social arrangements should furnish us with something of the sort fancying horrible thought how many a working man's friend a kind of industry in which the labour is light and the wages heavy would be sent thither because not called for in the office where he at present lies end of section seven